0: We're going to be looking at verses 2 to 4 today, but um, before we get started right into the text, what I'd first like to do is what I mentioned last week. We uh, took about four or five weeks off because of Christmas, so what we need to do is get our bearings in Colossians. Last week we we looked at the purpose statement of the book, uh, why Paul wrote, but we need to do a larger overview. The way that I want to do this today is a little bit unique. I'd like to um, pretend that we are interviewing Paul, and we'll ask some questions, he will answer, and we'll kind uh, of do an overview of the letter that way. I uh, don't know how effective this is going to be, so you may have to bear with me, but uh, hopefully... And uh, I'll not only remind you of the message of this letter, but also um, hope it's good for your heart as well as we review. As we begin, um, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his help. Father, we thank you so much for this letter. I, I thank you, Lord, for these uh, last few months that we have been able to spend here looking at the, the supremacy of our Lord Jesus, that he is all. He is all for us. He is all that we need. We could not uh, having him. We could not have more. And um, I pray that we would never try to supplement um, him with anything, uh, whether it's physical um, obedience to the to the law, um, our own efforts. Spiritual experiences, anything, I pray that Christ would be enough for us. So when we stand before you one day and are held account, held to account for our lives, if you would ask us, why should you come into my heaven? I pray, Father, that everyone here would only plead and confess Christ. Because He is all. is all we need. So, in this time, please help us. We come to you in Christ and ask for your help. Please give to us your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering our prayer. In Christ's name, amen. All right, we're, we're going to ask Paul some questions this morning. We'll let the text answer and so review the letter. First of all, Paul, what is the occasion for this letter? Why are you writing? Paul says, I was imprisoned in Rome when my fellow servant Epaphras came to me with a report on the church in Colossae, which he had planted. He reported wonderful things concerning the work of the gospel in these people but also a significant threat from false teachers who were promising a greater spiritual fulfillment if they would add on to Jesus with the Old Testament law and various spiritual experiences. Paul, you speak of how the gospel worked in them, and that's all that they needed. How did the gospel work in them? Paul says it worked in the Colossians just as it has all over the world. And this is verses 1 to 8. I'm just walking through the chapters as I go. He says it worked in them as it has all over the world. Through the gospel that Epaphras declared, they saw the hope that was laid up for them in heaven. That hope is Christ. And the gospel came into them bearing the fruits of faith in Jesus Christ and love for His people. Okay, so we... We see what the gospel did in them in the past. What about now? Paul says, as the gospel worked in them in the past, it's going to continue to work in them. And so we pray for this in confidence that believers, being filled with the knowledge of God's will, would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, growing always in good works and knowledge and power and thanksgiving. All right, you say that uh, it's so important that we know God's will, will fully, as though this is the key thing to growth. What is the will of God that you're speaking about specifically? The will of God that we must fully know centers on His Son. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the head of the first creation and the head of the new. He is the one that holds all things together. Not only did He make all things at the first, He will make all things new at the last, having reconciled all things to Himself through His cross, that in everything He may be preeminent. That's the will of God. And though the will of God doesn't center on you, and it doesn't center on me, it doesn't center on mankind in general, it amazingly includes you and me. For we too, though once alienated from God and hostile to Him, are reconciled to him through his death. And one day, he will present us to himself in splendor if you and I persevere in faith until the end. You say a lot, Paul, about Christian growth and Christian perseverance. Once someone has received the gospel, is that growth and perseverance automatic? Paul says no. People, Christians even, must hear the gospel again and again, the good news of Jesus. And that's the call of God on my life, to proclaim the gospel again and again, even in suffering. God gave me this stewardship to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed that mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I've laid down my life to proclaim Christ in order to present everyone to him in splendor. I am giving my all to encourage every church to reach all the riches of knowing Christ together in the gospel with such full conviction that they would be beyond the reach of all deception. In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul, do Christians ever outgrow their need of the gospel? No, they don't. They will only continue to grow and be safe from deception if they continue to walk in Christ in the same way that they received him. They must be rooted and built up in Christ through the gospel, abounding in thanksgiving. We never move away from Christ. What deceptions should Christians watch out for? Paul says any teaching that would say we need more than Christ, anything that would supplement the gospel. In the Colossians case, it was a syncretism. The old practice of the Old Testament law blended with a new practice of ecstatic spiritual experiences. That was to supplement the gospel so that they could be spiritually fulfilled. But in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and His people are filled in Him alone. Being united to Him by faith in the Gospel, we have been raised up and made alive with Him, forgiven of all of our sins which were nailed to His cross so that we may belong wholly to God. When we hold fast to Jesus together, we grow with the growth that is from God. Paul, how does all of this knowledge about Jesus transfer to everyday living? You must live in the reality of what Jesus has done. We're not striving to become something that we're not. We're striving by faith in Christ to become who we already are in him. The old you died with Christ and your life is hidden with him now in God. Being raised already with Christ, we are free to seek the things above where Christ is. Your life is free to change. Think of it like a change of clothes. What you used to do doesn't fit anymore. So you put those things off. Sexual immorality, selfish attitudes, sins of speech, and in their place, put on the new clothes of heaven. Patience to bear complaints you have against others. Forgiveness to put away offenses and love above all. May the gospel dwell in you so richly that whatever you do in word or deed, be done in the name of Jesus. So that brings us pretty much to where we are today. Jesus Christ transforms you. His presence in your life by the Holy Spirit transforms you completely. And one of the things that we were looking at lately is that as Jesus transforms us as individuals, he transforms all of our relationships as well. He transforms our relationships with each other, in the church, even though we may come from very different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different religious backgrounds, and so on, different, say, um, different economic status. We become one in Christ. Our relationships are transformed. Our relationships are also transformed in the home so that a man in Christ and a woman in Christ, husband and wife, treat each other completely differently that relationship is transformed. The relationship between parents and children is transformed, even between, in that setting, even between slaves and masters. And also, what we're going to see today as we get on um, is that our relationship with the world is transformed. I want to read uh, verses 2 to 6 of chapter 4, okay, together? And... um, What we're going to see in total is that our how our relationship with the world changes. We're going to see two things in particular. Our relationship changes to the world through prayer. And then second, also through the proclamation of the gospel. That's verses 5 and 6, the proclamation of the gospel. And uh, we're going to talk about that, Lord willing, next week. But let's read all of these verses. Hear the word of the Lord. Continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, Paul is speaking about himself and his missionary team, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of, a, of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's look at the beginning of verse 2 again. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Prayer is to your spiritual life what breathing is to your physical life. It would be so nice... If praying was as easy, came as naturally and involuntarily as breathing does. Wouldn't it? It doesn't, though. And we know that by experience. That the discipline of prayer is formed uh, through diligence. Through hard work. Because praying is a hard thing to do. But just like prayer, if, or just like breathing, rather, if you hold your prayers long enough, you're going to faint, spiritually speaking. You're going to faint. Now, people have a lot of struggle with prayer, especially right off the bat, um, when we realize that, that God is sovereign, that He rules all the world and rules all of history. The Bible says He knows the end of all things from the beginning. So how does that work with prayer? How do you reconcile the sovereignty of God, the omniscience of God, His perfect decrees and all of that with our responsibility to prayer. And how can prayer and asking for things from God be meaningful in any way if God is ultimately sovereign? How can it change things? People always ask this question. I think every believer at some point is going to ask something along these lines. But we have to hear the word of God. This is not the way, the way that we talk about prayer and that struggle with it, this is not the way that the Bible speaks about prayer. Listen, the Bible says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Now, I can understand, of course, when we say, okay, so prayer can't ultimately change things if God already knows what is going to happen and even has arranged all that's going to happen. And that's, um it's partially right. It definitely is partially right. But this is the way that I think, I don't know if this will be helpful to you, but it's kind of helpful to me, so let me give it a shot. Imagine that you are at the end of all things, the end of history. It's the end of the road where all things have worked together to bring about all good at last, okay? It's the final destination. So you're looking down at the end of all things. Now look back. Look back up the whole road of history. And what do you see? You see the road... That God laid down before time began for all things to travel. And yet that road of history is anything but straight and anything but uneventful. There are so many turns along the way. You know, changes in direction, switchbacks, and so on. Why are there turns on the road of history which God laid down before time began? For one, Because God's people pray. But wait a second. How how can the changes be our prayers if the road has already been laid down before time began? That's true. But those things, those turns, those changes, switchbacks, are still our prayers. Because our prayers, you have to understand this, our prayers are one key means that God decreed, to turn things. Our prayers are one key means God decreed to reach the ends that He has established. It's not only the end that He has established, but the means as well. And one key means for change of direction and so on is prayer. I know that still doesn't solve everything, but I hope you can see that a little bit. God established before time began our prayers, as one key means to reach the end of all history. So, we don't know all of the ins and outs of prayer. And we're not meant to know all of the ins and outs of prayer. But you and I both know that we are utterly dependent upon the power of God. And the way we depend on God is prayer. The way that we receive His power is prayer. So no matter how much we can't solve it perfectly, and it's just true that the sovereignty of God and the meaningful responsibility of man are um, can't perfectly be solved. Their intention, but both are held up as true at the one same time. We can't solve these things, but we should never give, give up on prayer because we can't. We would be fools not to pray. When God commands us and gives us so many examples of answered prayer again and again, and He bids us to pray, He welcomes us before His throne of grace to receive grace and mercy for our time of need, we would be fools not to pray and to be constant in prayer. So yes, it's hard. It is very hard. Prayer is hard work. It's strenuous. We need to work at it so that we become constant in prayer. Um, perhaps another way to think of it is, um, you know, if, if God promises a farmer an abundant harvest for that, for that growing season, that man, that woman would be a fool to, to sit on their hands during sowing season and just wait for things to grow on their own. What does the farmer do instead? Takes up their tools and, and gets into the garden or into, you know, whatever it is and, and works hard with confidence, knowing that they will see the results that God has promised. It's the same way with prayer. It's the tool that God has given us to see the results that He has promised. Prayer is our work in the field to reap in time what God has promised us. Paul says in the second part of verse 2 that constant prayer is how we stay watchful. Jesus used the very same word that Paul does here, that word watchful. Christ used the same word in the garden with Peter, James, and John just before Jesus was arrested and he was going to the Father and he was weeping and he was sweating and he was in agony ahead of the cross. And Jesus said to his disciples, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Same thing that Paul says here. And you only have to look at the experience of the disciples in the garden to to know what happens when we don't pray. What happened with them? Without prayer spiritually, we're, we're asleep on our feet. We're unaware of what the devil's scheme is. We're unprepared when the time for action comes and we're unable and we're unwilling to do the hard things when we don't pray. If we're not watchful in prayer, but through prayer we grow strong. We stay on guard. We keep our eyes fixed on Christ and we are aware of what hazards are in our way we're aware of what the devil is scheming against us and how he might make us fearful and and doubtful and bitter and and self-obsessed and all of those things we stay on the watch when we pray we stay on the watch too for you know false teachings that's one of the reasons he was telling them to pray because of the false teaching that was surrounding them he said you stay on guard and you stay watchful through prayer We grow strong in prayer. We are weak without it. Prayer is also how we stay thankful. This is uh, pretty obvious and pretty logical, I think. Prayerless people are thankless people. James said, um, you don't have because you don't ask. So it just makes sense. Prayerless people are going to be thankless because they don't receive what they don't ask for. And besides, we know that they have prayerless people still have from God, right? They have good things from God even though they don't pray. But how do they feel about those things? They just credit themselves or credit circumstances or they just take everything that they have for granted. So those who don't pray aren't going to be thankful. I want to encourage you to pray specifically. Sometimes we pray very broadly. Jesus taught us to pray. When he taught us to pray, he was speaking in broad terms. But he didn't mean for us to only pray broadly, like, Lord, always supply our needs. We'll get specific. He means for us to get specific in our prayers. And I could, I could give you so many examples um, from recent years of how I have prayed specifically and seen very specific answers to my prayers. Sometimes it's taken a while, but other times those answers to prayer have come very quickly. And I'll give you uh, an example from the last couple weeks. You know that we are headed to Canada at the end of May. And that's um, no issue for myself and the kids as far as immigration goes, but it is an issue for Cherie. We have to go through the immigration process. and um, So back in November, around November 20th, we sent in two applications for, for Cherie. One is my application to sponsor her. As a Canadian citizen with an American spouse, I can sponsor her. That's one application. The second is her application for permanent residency. And throughout this application process, there are several key points along the way when you correspond with immigration, and they tell you the next step to take. Well, of course, we want all of these steps to be timely, and we want everything to be well underway by the time we hit the border. Um, Because, you know, it's easy to cross the border when you're just going there to visit, but if you're coming with a U-Haul full of your things, they want to know what right you have to enter the country. Um, so we've been waiting since November to hear back from immigration. And last week, we still hadn't heard anything. And I've been praying, Lord, I pr- let this be all come in a timely way. But at the beginning of this past week, I decided I need to get specific here. And so I prayed, Lord, would we please hear from immigration this week? And this past Wednesday, coming back from the funeral, I was praying, Lord, please let this come in this week. And I trust in you, no matter what, whether we hear from them this week or not, I trust that you will supply our need. And if we don't hear from them this week, I'm going to pray the same thing next week so I was on Garland Gin Road I can see my. I was uh, just past Eloise's house when I was praying this so I walk in the door and one of the first things Cherie says to me is I heard from immigration and then that was for her part of the application the next morning I woke up with an email from immigration acknowledging receipt you know they've received our applications the review is under process and, and so on Um now I need to pray that this government shutdown wouldn't last very long. Normally, we might not be affected. We're being affected by this right now. Um, they told us immigration said, "Okay, we need that that police background check. It has to go through the FBI. It's called a police clearance certificate, and they give you five weeks to have it sent back to them." The FBI actually tells you it takes fourteen to sixteen weeks to have it done. Um, but we went through a channeler, which is supposed to speed up the process. Sheree sent in that application on Friday, and the government shut down Friday. And that means the FBI is not going over processing these, uh, these checks. So, another prayer request to come. But anyway, my whole point of, to, of that was to share the prayer request. And also, um, I just, w- I want to encourage you to pray specifically so that you will see specific answers to prayer. And so you can be specifically thankful. Which I believe is so much better than just broadly and generally thankful. Um, I could give you so many... I I know. God promises. We have the examples. Prayer in this sense changes things. Do you understand what I mean? Sure, the, the change was always in history before history began, but God appointed the change with prayer. He decreed not only the change, but the prayer. Okay. So pray and pray specifically. Let's go on to verses three and four. Let's read these again. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. To declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Again, Jesus transforms our relationships. We, we saw this truth heavily in chapter 3. He transforms our relationships in the church. He transforms our relationships in the home. He transforms our relationships in the workplace. That's what we were talking about last week. He also transforms our relationship to the world. We have, by the grace and the mercy of God, all those who have believed in Jesus Christ have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Now we're insiders, so to speak, looking outside with great concern for those who are yet lost, who remain under the domain of darkness we want them to be as we are. We want to see them saved. But they're not seeking God. Not on their own. They're not seeking God. We must seek them through God. And though there are two ways that we may seek the salvation of the lost. Speaking from Colossians. This is not exhaustive. But Paul gives us two key things. Praying for the work of the word and proclaiming the word. Proclaiming for the work of the gospel and, and praying um, and proclaiming the word of the gospel. I don't know what I just said. Praying and proclaiming. That's what we need to do. And Paul gives us two things here in verses three and four as we pray. So next week, we're going to focus on proclaiming. Um, Paul gives us two things to pray for. First, opportunity for the word. And second, clarity of the word. Through our prayer support and our financial support to our missionaries, we have gospel ministry all over the world. We have a gospel ministry in Croatia through Matt Nellenbjerg. We have a gospel ministry to the children of Louisiana. Through Camp Pearl, we have a gospel ministry to the Native Americans in Oklahoma through Jesse and Tina Looper. We have a gospel ministry in Argentina through Pablo and Fiorella Ramirez. We have a gospel ministry as we send money and as we pray for them. And Paul gives us, Paul shows us how to pray. Um, I have to confess that I, I don't think I have led. All's Chapel very well at all in praying for our missionaries. Uh, I'm, I'm glad for the kids. They have the habit every Wednesday night to ask prayer for our missionaries that got ingrained in them from the time that they were little. And so we pray for them Wednesday nights. But I don't think that I've done very well at this. And I hope that your next pastor does a lot better job. Um, praying for our missionaries. But as we pray for them, we must pray, and for our own gospel witness too, we must pray for opportunity for the word and clarity of the word. Look back at this. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. So opportunity, an opportunity for the word. Do you remember how back in chapter one, when Paul was thanking God for the work of the gospel, he spoke about the energy and the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's like he personified the word of the gospel. He said it came to them, it bore fruit, and it increased among them just as it does in all the world. Paul was showing us that the word of the gospel is the power of God that is on the move. And when it comes to someone, it It plows up the hard earth of the human heart and plants itself in deep and bears the fruits of faith in Jesus Christ and love for His people. That's what the Gospel does. The Gospel is the power of God on the move. And so, Paul urges us to pray. As the Gospel is on the move, we must pray that God would open doors for it. That the Gospel would have opportunity. We need to pray this for our own witness. That... God would open to us a door for the Word with our loved ones, with our neighbors, with our co-workers, with our friends, and so on. We need to pray for the gospel to have opportunity in hearts. I want to show you something encouraging. Paul's own circumstance shows us that we don't have to be on the move for the gospel to be. Now, we'd love to be on the move, But sometimes we can't be. Paul's under house arrest. He says, I am bound. Well, you would think that the word of God wouldn't have opportunity if Paul has no opportunity. That it would be still if he is. But when Paul actually wrote about the the same imprisonment in his letter to the Philippians, this is what he said. Listen to this. He says, what happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul would be released from this imprisonment. This was likely in the early 60s AD, but by the end of the decade, he was back in prison. A second time and a final time, and it would lead to his execution. But when Paul wrote from that imprisonment to Timothy, his last letter, this is what he said. He said, um Because of my preaching the gospel, I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. I am bound, but the word isn't bound. And so we will find opportunity to share the gospel if we pray for opportunity, no matter where we are. Even when we can't go, the gospel is always going. And so we must pray that it speeds ahead through open doors and saves as only it can save because the gospel is the power of God. And as we pray for opportunity for the Word, we must also pray for clarity of the Word. Paul asked that believers would pray that he would make the gospel clear. He said, that's how I am supposed to speak. I mean, it, it kind of makes you feel... Encouraged that Paul would pray for clarity. As Ryan was mentioning this morning, this is the greatest missionary the church has ever seen. By this time, he has been um, a believer and a missionary for probably up to uh, 25 years or so around that time period. He's a, he's a veteran. Who, who knows and who has ever spoken the gospel better than Paul? and yet here he is praying that he would speak it clearly we need to pray the same for our missionaries and we need to pray the same for ourselves <clears throat> what happens when someone is explaining something new to you and they're not speaking clearly what if a doctor is giving you a report and you know you, you say that's all greek to me or you know a mechanic is telling you about the problem in your car and I have no idea what you're saying. How you already were confused, and now I remember someone one time, this going back several years, uh, after I got done preaching on complex doctrine, said to me, that was as clear as mud. I think they were halfway joking. But we know how, how that is when a complex thing or a new thing isn't clear to us, when it's all Greek to us. It's not helpful at all. So when we are giving the good news of Jesus Christ, we need to speak the Word simply, plainly, plain English, clearly, right? On the other hand, when a doctor puts it in lay terms, when a mechanic just explains it simple, something that's completely foreign to you, you're like, oh, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. That's how we should strive to speak the Gospel with that clarity. One of our greatest hindrances today is that word about the Gospel has probably already reached the ears of those that we're talking to. And there is good chance that it wasn't right. And it wasn't true. Because of false teaching. Because of people twisting the Scriptures that is great hindrance today. So they can already have these preconceived notions about what the good news of Jesus entails and what they need to do to receive Christ themselves. We need to speak it clearly. I don't, you know, we, we might think, well, I've got so much uh, confused thinking to untangle and to deconstruct. I think the best recommendation to that is just speak the gospel. Speak the good news of Jesus clearly. There is a holy God in heaven who holds all people to account. He is your creator and He is your judge and your Lord. Every single one of us from the very first of us has fallen short of the glory of God by our sin and our rebellion. And our sentence for our sin is death. But God in His great love has sent His own Son to live as we could not live perfectly righteously before God and has sent Him to die the death that we could not die and pay the debt. Jesus died our death and He paid our debt in full. Now what is left for you to do but to receive this good news and receive Christ by faith and say, in Him is my salvation and in Him alone, it's not what I can do ever. It's what He has done already in His life and death and resurrection. Jesus is my salvation. And when someone turns from their sin and their own self-righteousness and puts their faith in Jesus Christ, God the Great Judge declares the sinner righteous in His Son and makes them forever His own. That's the Gospel. It's God, man, Christ response. And we're going to talk more about how we proclaim it clearly next Sunday, Lord willing. At our um, annual business meeting, which we had a couple Wednesdays ago, I wanted to encourage our church family with something I've brought up in years past, but I still see great need. We, as we were singing earlier, we need to become a church earnest in prayer. I think that's really, honestly, I think that's our greatest need. Our, our first and foremost need is to become a church earnest in prayer. And a lot of other things that we need to do and uh, areas we need to grow in would... Um, Uh, Follow along if we would become a church earnest in prayer. And uh, what I would like to do is, um, before we do go in May, I'd like to give our midweek study groups a a good guide and and plan to become more earnest in prayer together. Something practical, something specific, helpful, not weird, not uh, hard but just helpful things to become a church earnest in prayer. Because that's where our power is. And if our our ministry as a church is held back by weak, undisciplined, sporadic prayer, that's to our shame. Right? Because our power is in prayer. And God has promised the church power as we trust in Him with our prayers. This is the way that we seek the face of God and He has promised that He will help us as we pray. Let's go to the Lord now and pray. Father, I thank You for the great gift we have of prayer that right now together we are coming before Your throne of grace with Your welcome. We're not coming on our own merit, but in the righteousness and in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have all confidence that by grace you hear us and you will answer us. Father, first, we want to pray for our witness for the Word. We pray that you would give us opportunity and that you would open doors for your Gospel to work in the hearts of those around us. Our neighbors, our loved ones, and we also pray, Father, for our missionaries. For the, well, even the, the churches around us who are preaching the good news of Jesus. Give them opportunity. And for our missionaries too, Father. Whether they're stateside or overseas. Lord, I pray that you would give them so much opportunity to declare the good news of Jesus. And as we speak in, and as they speak it, Lord, I pray that you would make the gospel so clear to us. I pray that it would be the controlling passion of our hearts. and We would love it so much and think of it so much and talk about it so much together that when we have the opportunity to share it with an unbeliever, we would speak the gospel clearly. Not in our strength, but in your strength. Not for our good, their good, and not for our glory, but your glory. Father, please use us. Lord, we love that we belong to you. And it's our earnest desire that so many others that we love would also belong to you. We praise you for your work in their lives and we ask you for more until they become yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.